Knowing Jesus is the best gift that any person can receive. That we've encountered him is the best thing that's happened in our lives, and making him known by our word and deeds is our greatest joy. If you're hungry for that encounter, if you're dying to know the love of God, which alone makes sense out of life, if you're longing to know that you matter so much and that his power can fill you with all that you need so that you can be the man or the woman that you want to be, then join me and dig into the scriptures and the teachings of the church so that we can find the life that Jesus has made us for. Ave Maria Radio presents Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29, which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. In 2016, Father Ricardo presented a three-evening mission titled, Today's Salvation Has Come to This House. Each evening, over a thousand Christians from Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish and others nearby all but filled the darkened worship space. Each evening began with music and a personal testimony. This mission today begins with the traditional testimony from an anonymous parishioner. Our lives were completely out of whack five or six years ago. We didn't realize it because things appeared to be fine. We had important jobs and lots of friends, went to nice dinners and took great vacations. Our kids were in private school and life seemed good. We really didn't need anything or anyone, although in the back of our minds, something always seemed to be missing. Then he challenged us. First, it was our oldest son, who at the time was eight or nine. He was struggling with some mental, emotional health issues, and it got pretty bad. We tried everything, doctors, psychiatrists, parenting classes, books, everything. Nothing worked. Finally, as a last resort, and relying on my Catholic school background, I thought, why don't we see if our priest has any ideas? I had never met Father John in person, so I set up a meeting. I sat down in his office, and he said, what can I do for you? I explained the situation, and he immediately looked like he had it all figured out. He said two things. First, you have to take your family to church every week. And second, bring your son in and I'll pray over him. I thanked him for the advice, walked out, and thought, that was a waste of time. Little did I know. It was just the first knock, and God didn't give up on us. He kept knocking. The next time was through a friend who kept inviting me to the Wednesday morning men's prayer breakfast. I politely refused time and time again until one day I just showed up. I have no idea why, but I did. And although it didn't stick for me, it led me and my family down a path that would change our lives. Several months later, struggling with a health issue and quite a bit of stress, I was drawn to the grotto with my son. Again, I wasn't sure why I was drawn there, but I was. We stood outside in the cold. I prayed as he watched. Then he reached up, handed me a finger rosary from the basket below, and said, Dad, I think you need this. He was right. Shortly thereafter, in one of my sporadic visits to Mass, still wondering where I was being led, I was sitting with my younger son in the back. After communion, when we'd normally leave, something caused me to sit back down. After communion, a man named Ken Castell came to the podium and spoke about a course he and his wife had done called Couples Prayer, which was about to begin at OLGC. To be clear, something like this was about as far outside my comfort zone as I could get. I wasn't even praying, let alone praying with anyone else. But again, I was gripped by what he was saying. As we walked out that afternoon, I grabbed a flyer, took it home, and threw it on the table, assuming it would go away. But it didn't. My wife saw it and seized the opportunity. She signed us up. I still remember walking into the social hall for that first session. Here I was, a guy who barely went to church, walking into couples prayer of all things. I scanned the audience, turned to my wife, and said, No way. But she convinced me to stay till the break. We did, and after what I heard in that first hour, which seemed aimed directly at me, there was no way I was turning back. We never missed a week, and much like the men's group, while praying as a couple didn't become a regular thing, the impact it had on our prayer lives, on our faith, and on our children was life-changing. We met him there. He finally broke into our lives, and he broke into her life in a special way on the last night of the course. I grew up Catholic. I was, as they say, sacramentalized, but never evangelized. As a result, I would check the box, but I never got very close to God. In fact, I was afraid to get too close to Him. I always feared that if I did, He would ask me to do things I didn't want to do or ask me to handle a difficult situation. The devil took advantage of this, always talking to me, telling me I wasn't a good enough wife or mother or person. 
and I bought it. I struggled with this through our entire couple's prayer course until the very last night. The leaders dimmed the lights, put on some beautiful music, and asked us to close our eyes and thank God for everything he's given us. After a minute or so, I felt this sensation, almost like I was floating. Then I saw a beach and a figure walking towards me. As he got closer, I heard him say, There you are, my child. I've been waiting for you. I was floored. I've heard that little voice in my head many times, but this was not my voice. This was him asking me to let him love me. So I did. Needless to say, things were never the same after that. He waited patiently for us, and we finally met him. Since then, we have immersed ourselves in our faith and our community, hopefully doing what he wants us to do. Don't get me wrong, despite all this, we still say to ourselves, sometimes daily, I believe, help my unbelief, and we still fall time and time again. The difference now is that he's always there to pick us up, and we know he'll never let us down. That sensation that something is missing from our lives is gone. We still have a lot of work to do, but now we also have a purpose, to live for him. Now here is Father John Ricardo with the first talk of his 2016 parish mission. Today, salvation has come to this house. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with mercy and compassion, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, So the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we do as a parish family give you great praise and thanks, especially in these days of Lent for the great gift that you've given to us in your son Jesus, upon whom we fix our eyes right now in this beautiful crucifix which hangs in this sanctuary. Father, we thank you for the remarkable gift that you've given to us in your son that you did not spare him for yourself, but you've shared him with us. We thank you, especially in this year of mercy, for the unfathomable gift of your mercy, of your patience. Lord, we ask that you would bring a greater experience of salvation to this house, being this parish, and to our individual houses, those families that make up this one parish family. Father, we long to know you, to encounter your Son again and again. We long for the grace to surrender our lives ever more fully to you, to sell out, to give it all, to live entirely for you, 
and to tell everyone that we meet about the one who has broken into our lives, lavished such kindness and compassion upon us. Lord, we entrust tonight and the days that follow into your hands. We ask as always that you would help us to hear whatever those things are that you wish us to hear. Help us to hear your voice, just as James Cena did. Help us to know you love us. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to know we can start over. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good to have everybody with us tonight. Just a couple of announcements as we begin. One of the things that I'm hoping will come out of this week will be an invitation to all of us to deliberately and intentionally make the decision finally, perhaps, to sign up to do an hour of adoration in our day chapel. Maybe especially for those of you who are new members of the parish, maybe you don't know we have this, but the Blessed Sacrament is exposed all day and all night. But if you know anything about how exposition works in terms of public exposition, we're supposed to have two, quote-unquote, adorers for every hour. So people just sign up to take an hour. And it's actually quite interesting. Many people try to sign up for kind of exotic hours, two in the morning, four in the morning. But we're in need of some people for some of the hours because some folks have either moved away or perhaps have been called home. So we still need people to sign up for some of those hours. So there'll be a board, an opportunity for people to sign up. If you're here tonight and you have not yet met Jesus for real, and you know it, I can't think of a more helpful piece of advice I can possibly give you. Jesus told me years ago that my task is really simple as a priest. It's just to put him out and then he'll do all the rest. Lynn didn't believe me when I told him that. But he's done all the rest, hasn't he? So if you're longing to meet the one who's actually longing to meet you more than you are, take advantage of that and sign up. I'll say more about that tomorrow night. Lastly, before we get into tonight, I just want to both thank you and apologize all at the same time. So I don't know that I've ever felt more that this parish was my family than this week. As somebody who's around death all the time, I'm amazed how affected I am right now. And I'm uh, profoundly aware of how many people are praying for me, and I'm grateful for that. So I want to thank you for your prayers, for me, for the repose of my dad's soul, for my mom, for my sisters and brother, all our family. A huge thanks to those of you who've sent cards or made a point to come to the funeral home or were able to be at the funeral on Friday. For the many of you who just joined in and prayed or showed up here at the rosary, you have no idea what that means. I have an indescribable hole in my life right now. And uh, I apologize at the same time. You learn as often as I'm around death, I hear people say things, and I've, I've certainly heard people say things to other people, but as many friends as I've buried or loved ones as I've buried, I've, I've never buried my dad before. And it really is true. People say some really stupid things in an attempt to comfort you, which is fine. You know, I mean, I say stupid things all the time, but I'm apologizing because I'm sure I'm probably saying really stupid things back or I'm... It might look like I'm pushing people away. I know enough of my own temperament to know that my inclination right now is simply to withdraw and to kind of jump into depression, which might be too much information, but it also might be really comforting to those of you who also struggle with depression. But that's a struggle I've had off and on in my life, and and I'm really close to being there right now. So those of you who also go there at times, we can pray for each other. All right? So I apologize if I'm doing this and this at the same time. Because I think that's what I'm doing. So I want to be here like I want to go to a root canal, quite honestly. I mean, I love you guys, but I would rather be on a beach or on a golf course or actually just in my chapel at our house for the last couple of days, which has been really beautiful. But... I really do think as we get into this week and the text that I want to start with tonight, you know, as I keep thinking, I feel like maybe the Lord's given me a grace to experience like one one billionth of his own interior as we look at this gospel passage from which this 
title of our mission comes from today's salvation has come to this house. Because i got to believe on a human level, Jesus wasn't all that crazy about spending time with a guy named Zacchaeus, given what it was that he was on his way to do. And so I'm hoping that the grace that he's given me right now will somehow pay off in bearing fruit for all of us. So if you brought your Bible, you can open it up and Braille read it because it's too dark in here to read. I want to read, starting in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, down to Luke 19, verse 10. This is really the context of the week. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a multitude going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to make three simple points tonight and then leave us with an even simpler question to reflect on. I read that whole passage because it, it helps us to set the context for the story in which this verse comes from. So Jesus is almost at the end of his life. This is more than two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of Luke. Palm Sunday is just days away. That's where we are in his timeline. He's making his way down from Galilee. So if you can picture just a vertical line, at the top of the vertical line is the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus' home is. That's where Capernaum is. That's where Nazareth is. Nazareth is down just a little bit south. And then there's, there's more or less a straight line that runs from the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Dead Sea. That's the Jordan River. So Jesus... He's left Galilee. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He goes around the region of Samaria, which is a dangerous place for 
Jews to travel because Jews and Samaritans hate each other. So he goes kind of around them and then he gets to the bottom of the line, if you will. And the very bottom of the line is Jericho. And then from Jericho, if you just draw like a 30 degree angle to the left, you'll get to Jerusalem. You know geometry, you know where we are now. So Jesus is almost to Jerusalem, not quite. So Jericho is one of, if not the oldest continually inhabited cities. Its origins go back to 9,000 BC. It's been inhabited continuously since 9,000 BC. Imagine the sign as you're walking into Jericho. Jericho founded 9,000 BC. Kind of makes Plymouth founded whatever, 18, whatever it is, seem a little trite. So from Jericho to Jerusalem is somewhere between 15 and 20 miles. Takes about eight hours to climb, and it's a climb, because it's a 4,000 foot climb up in terms of altitude. Jericho's, I don't know, eight, nine hundred feet below sea level, and Jerusalem is roughly 3,000 feet above sea level. So by the time Jesus gets to the Mount of Olives and the whole area around Jerusalem, he's climbed 4,000 feet, he's done 20 miles. The gospel makes it um, abundantly clear that Jesus has just told the disciples where he's going. They are on their way to Jerusalem, and he's on his way to do that. He has a reason for being right now. The time for stories is over. He is fixed on what it is that he's about to do. He is about to offer up his life in atonement for the salvation of the world. That's on his mind. Some of you might be like I am when I uh, know that I'm supposed to be going somewhere. I go there. And interruptions are experienced as just that. Interruptions. I don't like them. I have to overcome that. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But... Some of us like to, you know, kind of take a zigzag approach to wherever we're going. I don't. Let's get in the car and let's go. And the sooner we can get there, the better. Jesus has a mentality of getting to where he's trying to get to. He's trying to get to the cross. And he is not intending to stay in Jericho. He's not looking for a hotel. He's passing through. That's what the scripture tells us. So he enters the city, passes through it, and he's on his way to the cross, which he's just told the disciples is what his destiny is. It's the reason that he came. And there's this man named Zacchaeus, who, according to the scriptures, is not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. He's the only such person who shows up in the scriptures. We say this often, you know, it's a... But for those of us who aren't familiar with scripture or who are somewhat biblically illiterate, um, tax collectors, I know we have some IRS agents or at least former IRS agents in the congregation. Um, tax collectors are not like them. Those are good people. <laughs> All right. We love them. We just don't like taxes, but we love them. All right. Tax collectors in the Roman Empire were not considered good people. They were considered beyond the capacity of being saved. They were cut off from the people of Israel. They were seriously thought to be beyond God's mercy. They were thought that because of the fact that the way a tax collector earned his living was in advance, Rome would charge him for what it was that he was responsible for paying on behalf of the area where he was the tax collector. He would pay that in advance and then he would go about extorting the people. So he paid up front the Roman Empire And then he charged people, and he charged whatever he could. And everything that he got to keep that was above what he paid to the Roman Empire was his. He made a living on extortion. That was his life. And the scripture tells us he was not just a chief tax collector, but that he was rich. So he's not only an extortioner, he's a traitor. 
Remember, the Jewish people live in an inhabited country by the Roman Empire. The Roman army lives in the Holy Land. The Jews aren't allowed to do whatever they want. There are guards everywhere, soldiers everywhere. This guy named Pilate is around. So Zacchaeus, who is a Jew, has thrown in his lot with them. He's considered the scum of the earth. And he's hated by the people in Jericho. And they know him. And he's a little guy. So he decides to do this kind of odd thing. He climbs a tree. I don't know anything about plants. Somebody joked once that they were looking at their thumbs and they said, you know what these are? These are hospice for plants. Things come here to die. (laughs) I'm much like that too. I know nothing about making things green. I don't have sycamore trees that I'm aware of. I don't think they grow around here. If you've never seen one, they grow to be anywhere from 30 to 60 feet tall. They are huge trees with enormous trunks, massive leaves, and low branches. They're easy things to hide in. But here's the key. Sycamore trees are planted outside the city. Just hold on to that for a second. Because it's actually a really important point. The tree is outside the city. Which means Jesus has left Jericho. And he's making his way up this 4,000 foot climb to get to Jerusalem to go to the cross to save the world. And Zacchaeus, this little guy, who for whatever reason is motivated to try to see Jesus, for what reason we don't know, but he's moved to get into this tree outside the city, climb up, hide in it, and catch sight of this man. And Jesus, with Jericho in his rearview mirror, fixed firmly on Jerusalem, and the place where he's going to offer up his life for the salvation of the world, sees this man hiding in a tree, and everything changes. All the plans go out the window. Jesus changes his mind. He stops. He turns around. He says the cross can wait. Because it didn't come to save people, as if it's some generic nameless blob. I came to save individuals. I came to save Zacchaeus. And so Jesus says, today I must stay at your house. And Zacchaeus runs down. St. Francis de Sales, one of the great heroes of the church during the time of the Reformation, once said this, God is so eager for us to love him. Issuing an open invitation to the general public is not enough. He makes house calls, going from door to door. In the story of Zacchaeus, we see that that's not poetry, that's reality. Jesus makes house calls. I'm firmly convinced he's desiring to make a house call here. We might rightly say that Jesus is the Heavenly Father's missionary of mercy. For to be a missionary means to be sent, and Jesus has certainly been sent. He says that over and over again in the Gospels. For this purpose I have been sent. I have been sent. The Father sent me. And he has been sent by the one who is rich in mercy as we heard in Psalm 103 as we began. He's come to gather again God's children who are lost by sin and rebellion and disobedience. And he's done all this because our Heavenly Father does not delight in the death of the wicked, but in their repentance. So let me tell you, second point, how this mission came about. You know, this is the year of mercy. We knew we wanted to do something on mercy, but we were not quite sure what that was going to be until... Probably was sometime in early November, maybe it was early December. So myself and then a variety of folks involved in our education of children were all meeting. We had, I don't know, six-hour meeting maybe one day and another four-hour meeting another day, just trying to look at 
what it is we're doing here to hand on the faith and to help parents hand on the faith to their children. We do baptisms at Mass because I try to stress and drive home the point to parents that they, not I or Father John or Father Brian or Father Pierre, but you, moms and dads, are the primary educators of your children in the ways of faith. And I've heard over and over again from parents that they're sick and tired of being told that. They don't know what the heck that means. So we're trying to do everything we can to continue to come up with a model to help parents to do that. This might be more than I wanted to say tonight, but I actually think the church should repent in a particular way for almost enabling parents to be bad educators of their children in the ways of faith. It's almost like the church has presumed, you know what, you guys really don't know what you're doing, so just give them to us, we'll take them, we'll put them in a class, you guys cannot worry about it, and we'll do it, and then they go home to you, and meanwhile, what did they get? Because what can you teach somebody once a week for an hour? And what are we doing to help you together do this and journey? So anyway, we're talking about what we can possibly come up with, ideas. We spend a lot of time brainstorming, praying, having some really good, candid conversation. And to be perfectly frank, this gets really frustrating for me. There is nothing more important for a parent than to hand on the faith. Nothing. You know that or you wouldn't be here tonight. But half of our parish doesn't know that. And I can't tell you how frustrating that is to me. I can't tell you how sad that makes me. I can't tell you how angry that makes me. Or how disappointed that makes me. That for whatever reason, something, anything is more important than God. For a lot of families with children in grade school and high school, it's athletics. Or other extracurricular activities. Dance. Who knows? Whatever it might be. And over and over and over again, God gets pushed out. Squeezed in. If we've got time. And though no parent can make their child come to faith, because nobody can do that, you can only offer it to them. You can only lead them to Jesus. Still, it is the task of a parent to be the best teacher of their children in the ways of faith. Nobody's life is more powerful in impacting a child's faith than a mom and especially a dad. Nobody. But while I get frustrated or angry or sad or disappointed, God keeps making house calls. He doesn't give up. He doesn't get frustrated. Even if he's got an agenda in mind, namely going to Jerusalem to get crucified for my salvation and yours, he still has time to waste with this guy who is the scum of the earth, according to the people of Jericho, and hang out at his house. So anyway, as we were praying and talking, this passage came to mind in a homily that Bishop Burns gave to our confirmation kids. So some of you were there that day. It was one of the first confirmations that we had when we started confirming in the younger grades. And I remember him calling me on the phone. He says, hey, John, it's Mike. The gospel is Zacchaeus. Is there a reason for that? I mean, was the reason, you know, like, these are little kids, Zacchaeus was little, or was there something more than that? (laughs) And I went, I don't know, you're the bishop. Come up with something profound, will you? And he goes, okay, great. And he's the one who drove home this point about the tree, and I just never forgot it. And if you have anything like the personality that I have, where you're just laser-focused on something, and you see Jesus change his mind and his plans and cancel everything for this guy, then that story means something to you. And if you're not, I don't know how to relate it to you. But if you get that, then maybe you understand just what it is that Jesus did and how incredible a gesture it is on his part to say, hey, the heck with Jerusalem, it can wait. I want to be with you tonight. I'm just dumbfounded by that. So as we were talking and that homily came back, and then the next day or the next week or whatever, that quote from DeSales showed up somewhere. Maybe it was in the Magnificat, some other devotional that one of us was reading, that God doesn't just issue an invitation. He actually goes out and makes house calls. He goes door to door. And then suddenly a plan began to emerge for us. And I think this is just the Holy Spirit talking about it to us. So combining the bishop's homily and that quote from DeSales, we decided that we were going to do the same. We decided that rather than get frustrated or angry or sad or disappointed, we would cancel a whole series of nights that we had set up. And we would do that. We'd make house calls. Many of us are of a generation when it was very common for priests to go around and blessing homes in neighborhoods I've had a chance to bless 
many of your homes, I know, but many of our homes are not blessed. I always tell a story of a friend of mine. He's a priest friend from Kenya. Every time I go to a home to bless a home, I tell this story because it makes the point. He tells a story about in the village where he lives, there was a series of break-ins that were happening. It was never anything violent, but people were losing things. They were getting stolen over and over and over again. Went on for a series of weeks. They could never catch the man or the men who were doing it. And then finally, one night, two, three in the morning, these two guys run down to the police station in the village, turn themselves into the police and say, okay, we confess, we've done it, but we did not do what's in that house. So the police go with them, they get to the house, they walk in, and everything's perfect. Nothing's out of order, nothing's missing, everything's great. And the police look at the two guys, the two guys look at the police, the police say, what are you talking about? And the two men look at the police and say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. When we walked into this house, everything was covered in blood. And the house had just been blessed, consecrated to the sacred heart of Jesus. House blessings aren't some cute little thing that we do as Catholics. They're really profound encounters with Jesus and the covering of our homes in his precious blood. So we decided we would cancel some of our nights and go out to the people, and especially to people who don't come to church. So we set up a site online. We had people sign up. I think we've got 14 nights that we set aside. They're all filled. We were going to introduce it at the mission. They're all filled. Kind of like Alpha. We did a dinner to invite people to Alpha, and it was all filled by the time that we got done with the dinner. So throughout the whole course of the year of mercy, which ends on December 8th, we just want to keep setting up nights all throughout the weeks where myself and some others from our parish team can go and bless neighborhoods. That's what we really want to do. We want to bless not just homes, but neighborhoods. We want to consecrate homes to Jesus. We want to make house calls. We want to bring the Lord into people's lives. We want to pray with people because Jesus wants to meet us. And he's not sitting here waiting for us to come to him. He's going out. That's what Pope Francis has been continually saying to us. There's more dates to be released in the time ahead. Stay tuned for that. Right now, I think you can go to the website. Maybe we can put the website up tomorrow night. If we can get it to Chris, you can put it on the screen. and You can just kind of sign up, put it on a wait list. But I think the first night we're doing it, we've got 11 homes that we're blessing. We'll be done about two in the morning. It's a Friday. It's a good thing. Get your neighbors. Say, hey, someone's going to come by. He's going to bless our home. Would you like your home blessed? Ah, I'm not Catholic. So what? I don't go to church. So what? You don't have to go to church. Zacchaeus wasn't going to church. Like Jesus, we want to come into people's homes. And then another thing happened shortly after that. Pope Francis wrote a document on the year of mercy it's called a papal bull don't ask me why and in it in paragraph 18 he writes this he says during lent of this holy year that will be now i intend to send out missionaries of mercy they will be a sign of the church's maternal solicitude for the people of god enabling them to enter the profound richness of this mystery so fundamental to the faith These will be priests to whom I will grant the authority to pardon even those sins reserved to the Holy See, so that the breadth of their mandate as confessors will be even clearer. They will be, above all, living signs of the Father's readiness to welcome those in search of his pardon. They will be missionaries of mercy because they will be facilitators of a truly human encounter, a source of liberation rich with responsibility for overcoming obstacles and taking up the new life of baptism again. They will be led in their mission by the words of the apostle St. Paul, for God has consigned all men to disobedience that he might have mercy upon all. Everyone, in fact, without exception, is called to embrace the call to mercy. May these missionaries live this call with the assurance that they can fix their eyes on Jesus the merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And then he talks about how he invites bishops to welcome these missionaries so that they can be doing retreats and missions and different things like that. So they're supposed to be signs of the church's maternal care. They're given the Holy Father's authority to forgive 
any sin, even those that are normally reserved to the Holy See, but above all, there to be living signs of the Father's readiness to welcome those in search of his pardon and to be heralds of joy and forgiveness. There's 1,142 missionaries of mercy in the world. There's 125 of them in the U.S. Nobody really seems to know what these guys are supposed to do. There was a meeting with the Holy Father on the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday in Rome, and then on Ash Wednesday, those who were able to come can celebrate Ash Wednesday Mass with him, and they were commissioned by him. I'm one of them. I haven't said anything about any of that because, like, I don't know what it means, so, like, why tell anybody? (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, what am I going to do? Hoo-hoo, I'm a missionary of mercy. (laughs) I don't know if it's just a thing from the Holy Father that I frame and put on my bathroom wall or if it really means anything. I don't know. But as I've been thinking about our mission and in a particular way about our house blessings, I think I'm supposed to tell you. The letter I got was actually kind of comical. It was something like, you know, we ask you, Father, to please do your best to suspend your normal pastoral ministry. (laughs) You have got to be kidding. I'm not planning on going anywhere to do a mission other than here and to every home that I can get into to bless. I have no idea why I got asked to do this, I can only imagine I got asked to do it because there are few people in this parish who know God's mercy more extensively than I do because of how often I have received it. Peter was the weakest link in the chain of the papacy because nobody had blown it worse than he had. Therefore, it made him to be a remarkably fit dispenser of God's forgiveness. I, too, love to welcome people into a confessional in a particular way because of how often I have run there myself and because of the grace that I've received. I don't know of a place where I encounter God's love more profoundly, even much more so than the Eucharist, than in confession. Because in the Eucharist, even though the Lord knows who I am, and I know the Lord knows who I am, the guy who's given me the Eucharist doesn't. But when I walk into a confessional, by the time I walk out, I know he knows who I am, and I know he knows that I know who I am. And I still encounter nothing but God's love. That's why we started doing these Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday confessions from 5 to 6. That's why Father John and Father Brian will be here tomorrow from 5 to 6. That's why we'll be in the confessional Tuesday and Wednesday from 5 to 6. We're not there for those of us who normally come. That's not why we're there. We're there for those of us who are like Zacchaeus. That's why we're there. We're there for those of us who are afraid to come. For those for whom it's been 10 years, 18 years, 40 years. For those of us who've committed adultery many times those of us who have had abortions many times, those of us who walked away from the faith, who pushed God to the side, who've been too busy, but who are longing to hit the reset button, dying inside, desirous as all get out to start over again, who want to see all our sins ripped up and to be able to just say, wow, And to leave everything on the floor in the confessional. And to begin again. There's 12,000 people in this parish. More than 90% of us have either never or don't go to confession. More than 12,000 people. And somewhere around 90% of us, statistically, we don't keep records on you, relax. Yeah, Bob was in again today. (laughs) That's three times this week. (laughs) 90% of us have either never been or we haven't gone in years. So I'm here tonight and this week in a particular way, perhaps, I don't mean this dramatically, I mean this just really truly at Pope Francis' request. 
I got a letter to prove it. (laughs) He sent me to you. I ain't going anywhere else. But I am here. And I would love to come to your house so that you can either for the first time or more deeply encounter Jesus and come to know him. Because nothing in life matters but God. Nothing in life matters but God. Until he's first, everything else is out of whack. Once he's first, then everything else fits. Family, work, everything. But until he's first, I'm not living right. And we know it. Because God gave us a conscience. And no matter how many times I try to silence it, because it's a good gift from God, it just keeps talking. And for many of us, like Zacchaeus, hiding in a branch behind a big leaf, maybe we're here tonight in low light. Maybe we haven't been to confession. Maybe we're like him up in a tree just trying to get a glimpse. Maybe we don't even know why we're here. Maybe we've gone to confession, but we've never really confessed. That's common too. For whatever reason, we've held back. And the Lord's invitation to us is, come. Jesus says, don't be afraid of me. So much do I care for you that I rushed to the cross for you. And I'm making a house call to your heart. So what's the simple question for tonight? I think it's just this. Or the simple thought to ponder. Jesus really is here tonight. He's here present in the Blessed Sacrament. He's here in his word that is proclaimed. He's here in this congregation. He's here in me as minister. Maybe he's especially here because of the fact that I've been commissioned by the Lord to do this work under Holy Father's mandate. But he is here and he's looking intently at every single one of our faces. And he's smiling. He didn't look at Zacchaeus in a tree and go, hey, get your act together. Then I'll come see you. He looks up at him, this ridiculous sight of a little guy hiding in a tree. And he's got to laugh. And he says, hey, come on down. I have got to stay with you tonight. Invite me in. Zacchaeus had one task, one thing he had to do. He had to come down from the tree. That's all he needed to do. You and I tonight have one task. Understand Jesus is looking us in the eye with this incredibly warm smile and a desire to enter into our lives, our homes, our hearts, our families like never before. To put everything in order. To put everything under his lordship. To let him really reign. All we got to do is come down and open up the door of our heart and our home, and our will, and let him in. So let's pray. Lord, you are a good, good father. So many of us here have distorted images of you and distorted images of ourself. Like we heard in that testimony to start, our ears have been accustomed for a long time to the voice of the enemy, our opponent and adversary who tells us we're not good enough. We're not a good wife. We're not a good husband. We're not a good father. We're not a good mother. We're not a good disciple. We're not a good person. We try to hide it in so many ways. Father, we're tired of hearing that voice. We want to hear the voice of your spirit. We want to hear your son's voice. We want to see his face. We want to see his smile. We want to see his eyes light up as they look at ours and lock on ours. Lord, we want to know that the gospel is really good news, that it's good news for us. That it doesn't matter what's in our past. It doesn't matter what's in our present. It doesn't matter what we were like when we walked in here tonight. All that matters is what we choose to do right now. Lord, none of us have arrived. Nobody here has arrived. There's so much more. There's more life, more joy, more freedom, more grace, more hope, more Lord, we want you to claim this parish, this house, this place, our homes, our families, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our bodies. We want you to claim everything. 
We want you to be Lord. We want you to reign. We want to put our lives under your dominion, confident that you are a great God, a good God, a loving Father, the God of life. Father, we thank you for this year of mercy, which you've inspired our Holy Father on earth to issue. This extraordinary time to set things right, to begin again, to start over, to hit the pause button or the reset button or whatever button we need to hit. Father, especially for those of us who are here tonight who feel beyond your grasp, who long to walk into a confessional but haven't done so in so long, Lord, I pray that you'd give them courage. May your spirit be like a tractor beam that just pulls them in. May they wake up tomorrow with an insatiable desire to be reconciled. Lord, what can we give back to you for all the blessings that you have poured out on us? How can we possibly repay you for your mercy and your patience? Lord, we ask tonight as we leave and as we hit our beds and as we dream that you'd fill our dreams with divine dreams, that you continue to keep talking to us, that you continue to keep pulling us closer to you. Lord, give us a desire to be great, really great. We thank you for the gift that it is to belong to this parish, to live in this community, to have the opportunity to be heralds of the gospel, especially to so many people who do not know you but think they do. Fill us with your joy so that we might be eager to invite others into the same joy. Father, we love and praise and bless and thank you. And we make this prayer as we make every other prayer. In the name of Jesus, who is your Son and our Lord, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. On this edition of Christ is the Answer, we open the 2016 Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish Mission with an anonymous parishioner testimony. Then Father John Ricardo stepped out of the darkness and led the first night of the parish mission. The title of the mission was, Today Salvation Has Come to This House. This has been Christ is the Answer program number 873. For a CD of this or any of our programs, go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on Store or order by leaving a voicemail at 734-930-4506. 734-930-4506 for program number 873. 2016 Mission, number one. Father John Ricardo is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a non-profit organization called Acts 29, which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. Christ is the Answer was originally recorded and edited by Henry Root and is a production of AveMariaRadio.net. Tune in next time when Father John Ricardo addresses a topic of Christian concern from the Catholic perspective. This is Ave Maria Radio.